Good afternoon and welcome back to Midday Magazine. I'm Shelby Herbert reporting for KFSK. Wednesday was the annual test of Alaska's tsunami warning system. Radio and TV stations around the Gulf of Alaska were expected to broadcast a test of an emergency alert. It's similar to what you'd hear during a real tsunami. But some communities didn't hear it at all. Dave Snyder is a state tsunami warning coordinator. He says the failure was a combination of technical glitches and some confusion among forecasters in Anchorage. I think it was just, you know, they're confused about what kind of test we're running. State and federal agencies run tsunami tests regularly throughout the year. But this test was designed to go further than the normal monthly communications test. And that's where the confusion started forecasters at the National Weather Service office in Anchorage didn't realize that Wednesday's test was supposed to go out to the public, so they failed to pass the message along to some stations. The test also revealed technical failures, like a coding problem that impacted some stations in southeast Alaska that received the test but weren't able to broadcast it. Snyder says the root of the problem was the fact that the alert was just a test. In a normal situation, zero hesitation. Everything would have flown out the door. I I have no Mm -hmm. doubt that would have worked. He said these errors will be valuable feedback to refine next year's test. Communities that had problems with Wednesday's test are encouraged to submit their feedback at ready.alaska.gov. The test of Petersburg's tsunami warning system was successful. The U.S. Forest Service is seeking new recruits nationwide, with extra focus on filling positions in Alaska. But recruiters say economic conditions are making it hard for them to recruit and retain employees who come from out of state. Here's more on how the agency is turning its attention to the local workforce. America is in the grip of a widespread labor shortage. According to the latest data from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, there are over 10 million job openings in the U.S., but only 5.7 million unemployed workers. The U.S. Forest Service has not been spared from the shortage, and recruiters say it's especially hard to bring people to Alaska. Toby Backus is a wildlife biologist for the Petersburg Forest Service District. He helped set up for a local hiring event on March 2nd. Backus says it's part of the biggest hiring frenzy he's seen in his decades-long career with the Forest Service. The Petersburg District is advertising 20 temporary positions as well as six permanent positions. Fifteen of those will open within the next two weeks. This is super rare in our agency. I don't remember a single other time when we've hired so many permanent positions at one moment in time. Petersburg District Ranger Ray Bourne says he hopes the new hiring initiative will help his team make up for years of attrition. His district saw a wave of retirements during the pandemic. Bourne says the Petersburg Forest Service District is also flush with funding for new projects in the Tongass National Forest. But those projects require more staff. A bunch of different laws have been passed over the couple of years. We got increased funding, but increased projects. So we need more people. Tiffany Christensen is an admin support assistant for the Forest Service. She says the agency isn't just looking for anybody. They're specifically seeking out workers with strong ties to the area. 
Christensen says hands-on experience living and working in the Tongass National Forest is valuable to the agency, even more valuable than certain academic credentials. So someone who has local knowledge kind of has a leg up on someone who's never been to Alaska. So in other words, maybe they haven't gone and studied these particular sciences in a college down south, but they've lived and grown up in it. Jason Steele is a Forest Service recruitment specialist. He's not originally from Alaska, but he recognizes the importance of hiring people who know the area best. I could not have moved to Alaska and hit the ground running in these positions because I don't know about these things. In the local community, people that have worked here, they do know about all these. What knowledge do you have of bear habitat behavior in the area and how you would safely work in bear populated areas in South Central or Southeast Alaska? But there are also practical reasons for why the Forest Service is trying to source people locally. Bourne says locals are also better equipped to stay, especially in the current climate of economic hardship. We bring people in and they're like, you mean I can't drive to my next town? Okay, some people that's just not ready for that Alaska adventure, as I call that. Bourne says Alaska's remoteness deters potential hires from taking the leap, especially in the southeast where people have to take planes and boats to access the outside world. However, Bourne says one of the worst obstacles to hiring people from outside is Petersburg's housing market. Petersburg has struggled with a housing shortage for decades. That lack of housing is already making it difficult for local government offices, like the Petersburg School District, to bring in workers from out of town. Bourne says the Petersburg Ranger District expects up to 40 new workers this year, but they only have 36 beds in their bunkhouse, and there's no space in the bunkhouse for the families they might bring with them. He's working with local realtors to try to ease the pressure, but he says this is why it makes sense to hire people who are already settled in the area. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. By the time U.S. Senator Ted Stevens left office in 2009, he had amassed a huge collection of documents, enough to fill 4,800 new boxes. Now that collection has found its final resting place at the University of Alaska Anchorage. Stevens' widow, Catherine Stevens, the Stevens Foundation, and the university made the announcement this month. Karina Waller is director of the uh, Ted Stevens Foundation, which has been archiving and organizing the collection for years. So Plankton. It was always Senator Stevens' desire to have the collection go to the university. He really wanted his papers to be open to the public. Obviously, as a student of history, he knew that understanding our history was important in informing decisions that we make. Before Stevens died in a 2010 plane crash, he agreed to deposit his papers at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Waller says he always wanted them to be in Anchorage, but when he was preparing to leave the Senate, UAA didn't have room. UAA's plan is to create an Alaska Leaders Archive at the university's consortium library. Beyond the documents, photos, and videos, Waller says the foundation also has a warehouse full of Stevens' memorabilia, like awards the senator received and books he kept at home and at the office. 
Waller says the university doesn't have space for them, but she's hoping the archive will take some of the more historical objects, like a pen President Richard Nixon used to sign the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act in 1971. Waller says the university still needs time to prepare a space for the papers. She figures the conveyance of the papers is about a year away. Organisms near the bottom of the food chain in the Bering Sea aren't as fatty as they used to be, threatening the Arctic fish, seabirds, and marine mammals who feed on them. In Unalaska, Sophia Stewart-Rossi reports a new study. A result of nearly 20 years of research could predict how the rest of the world, uh, the world's seas might change from global warming. So, Plankton, are small organisms like sea snails, jellyfish, and krill, and they're crucial to the Bering Sea's ecosystem. But new data from NOAA Fisheries indicate that one of the most common zooplankton isn't as fatty or abundant as it used to be. Large, high-fat copepods, distantly related to shrimp and crab, are dwindling with the lack of sea ice from global warming. Meanwhile, smaller zooplankton are increasing in both numbers and range. David Kimmel is a research oceanographer and leader of the nearly two-decade study. He says Arctic fish, seabirds, and marine mammals are struggling to adjust to global warming while consuming less fatty foods. They can get skinny, uh, which doesn't necessarily lead to mortality, but can make them more susceptible for example, to not surviving the winter if they don't have enough energy uh, stores to make it through the winter. While less fat in the diet doesn't necessarily lead to extinction, Kimmel says, it could lead to smaller population sizes of common bearing sea organisms like king crab and harbor seals. It could also create an ecological shift in the sea. Organisms that are normally found to the south are moving northwards. And so communities that you might expect to exist at more southerly latitudes begin to become more prominent at more northerly latitudes. The Bering Sea is one of the most sensitive regions to global warming, says Kimmel. And knowing how the bottom of the food chain changes with warmer temperatures can help predict how ecosystems around the world will be affected by climate change later on. The people that live in Alaska at the front line of this change are really the ones that are experiencing it. And they're quite removed from a lot of fellow citizens throughout the country that aren't experiencing it, you know, right up close and personal. And and that makes their stories and their experiences much more important to share and, and talk about. In Unalaska, I'm Sophia Stewart-Rossi. Wrangell's Health Fair used to be a staple of springtime in the community, and after a three-year hiatus, it's back. Wrangell Medical Center Administrator Carly Allen says large group gatherings were put on hold during the height of the pandemic. Bringing it back here in 2023 lets us outreach to the community and really focus on health care outside of the COVID pandemic, which there's been so much focus on that the last couple of years. So it's really an opportunity to connect with people that may have put off health care during the pandemic and just refocus on generalized health care. Allen says the fair will highlight the ver- a variety of services offered by the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium, which owns and operates Wrangell's Hospital, as well as other wellness and health-related community services. Allen says there will be familiar Wrangell services at the fair, as well as some new opportunities. 
Something new we're doing this year is an interactive healthy food demonstration. And we'll also have our registered dietitian available to speak with the public. Um, a classic that we're bringing back from years past is Teddy Bear Clinic, and that's focused on our pediatric population, and kiddos can bring their favorite stuffed animal in for a checkup. There's a lot of other booths, but I don't want to give everything away. I encourage people to come out and check it out for themselves. Ellen says Search is also partnering with community health fairs in Juneau, Gustavus, and Sitka this year. Health fairs are really unique to their community, and so they look different from place to place. So communities that have historically done them in the past are moving forward this year with them. While Ringel's health fair has been on pandemic pause, the community's family resilience fair has filled in some of the gaps, advertising in-town services to support families and children. The Family Resilience Fair, where the Health Consortium sets up booths as well, will still take place in the fall. Wrangell's upcoming health fair is a joint event with the nonprofit Alaska Health Fair Incorporated. Like Wrangell Health Fair's past, they'll offer reduced-priced blood draws for lab screening. To schedule a, br- a blood draw at Wrangell's health-, health Fair, visit alaskahealthfair.org. Wrangell's Community Health Fair is scheduled for Saturday, April 1st from 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. at the Nolan Center downtown. KFSK has an open airwaves policy. We encourage the public to express personal opinions, ideas, and creative works, which will be available on our website, kfsk.org, following the scheduled radio broadcast. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of KFSK. The following commentary was submitted for broadcast by Pastor Tim Bernard and Pastor Deborah Deborah Gellerder. Greetings, Petersburg. I am Pastor Tim Bernard. And I'm Pastor Deborah Gellerder. We are the new pastors at Petersburg Lutheran Church, and we want to extend an invitation to all of the people of Petersburg to join us for our upcoming worship services as we enter into Holy Week. This Sunday is our Palm and Passion Sunday. We begin with the procession with palms recounting Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Then we transition to hearing the account of Christ's death from Matthew's Gospel. This service begins at 10 a.m. Thursday at 7 p.m. is our Maundy Thursday worship service. Maundy comes from the same word as commandment, where Jesus gives us the new commandment that we are to love one another. One of the ways Jesus showed love for us was by washing the feet of his disciples. In this service, there will be an opportunity for us to wash one another's feet, which is optional, not mandatory. We will have our Good Friday service at 7 p.m. The highlights of this service are the opportunity to receive the laying on of hands with a personal pronouncement of forgiveness. The other highlight is the procession of the cross. There are two opportunities for worship on Easter Sunday. The first is the community sunrise service at Sandy Beach at 7 a.m. Our second worship service is at 10 a.m. at Petersburg Lutheran Church. We serve Holy Communion at all of our Sunday worship services, and all are welcome to come and receive the gift of God's grace that comes to us through the bread and the wine. We look forward to meeting you all. The commentary you've just heard was submitted for broadcast by Pastor Tim Bernard and Pastor De- Deborah Gillarder. 
KFSK encourages the public expression of personal opinions, ideas, and creative works. Views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of KFSK. For more information, please call our general manager, Tom Abbott, at 907-772-3808. You are listening to Midday Magazine. My name is Shelby Herbert, and I'm reporting for KFSK.